chapter 19, verse 10. Just one statement from the 19th chapter that we'll use as a, as a text. And then to illustrate the text, we'll go back just a few chapters to chapter 15. Chapter 19, first, the statement is made by Jesus to Zacchaeus, tax collector. They had an encounter with him one day. Verse 9, Jesus said to him today, salvation has come to this house because this man too is the son of Abraham. Here's the text, very familiar words. For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. Just before walking on the platform this morning, I asked Pastor Lance to pray, and he prayed that text. Lord, we understand, we know that you came to seek and to save that which was lost. And I think that that is the essence of what we celebrate. Jesus came to save sinners. His name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now go back just a few chapters to chapter 15, and there we will discover a parable, very familiar parable that Jesus spoke. Now it uh, might be a little confusing if in your Bible there's kind of paragraph breaks and uh, those who did the translating felt they were helping us by identifying three different parables here but I think they confused the issue by separating what God has joined together so I would like you to ignore those breaks and see this chapter as one parable there's three points to the parable but there's just one parable and so you need to look at verse 3 then Jesus told them this parable not parables plural but parables singular there are three areas of truth that he wanted a very specific group of people to get the message we need to understand who is the target of this truth and what was it that uh, that produced this parable first two verses identify the, the target of Jesus' ministry that day as, uh, as now the tax collector and sinners were all gathered around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus, then produce a different thought, but continues the same thought. And then when you reach verse 11, uh, Jesus continued, uh, there was a man, and then finished out the rest of the chapter. So I want you to see that there's not three parables here, but one parable. Jesus is speaking, and the target for this truth are those who are murmuring and muttering to themselves uh, about the behavior of the Lord and the ministry of the Master. They were a bit upset with him that he would, he would associate with people who were publicans and tax collectors and sinners, and the Lord evidently either discerned their conversation or heard their conversation. And in response to them, he was giving this picture of truth and was attempting to help them understand 
that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And since they looked in the mirror at themselves as being righteous and not needing repentance and not considering themselves to be lost, he was saying to them, I've come to seek and save those who are lost. Jesus came to save sinners. I'm glad I'm a sinner because I want to be found of the Lord. There's a real celebration in this, in this chapter. Everywhere you look, there's sounds of celebration. There's tremendous rejoicing from verse 3 on in every part of the parable. The only one person who's not rejoicing is the one who is pictured as the scribes and the Pharisees and the tax collectors, that elder brother who felt like he was righteous. He had never done anything wrong and he had always done everything right. And why wasn't he treated with the kind of celebration that this younger son was being treated with? Well, that's the target of Jesus' truth. He is speaking these parables specifically to the righteous or those who consider themselves to be righteous. And he's just simply demonstrating the fact that his mission to earth was not to save those who felt they were healthy, but as a doctor to those who were ill. They that are whole, he said, don't need a physician, but they that are sick. He was speaking to the same crowd and, and was speaking the same thing for the same reason. These people didn't feel they were ill. They didn't realize how bad the disease of sin really was within their heart and their mind. And they felt like they were righteous. The Bible labors hard to help us understand that our own righteousness is like filthy rags in his sight. And it's only as we lay them aside and are removed from our lives and we're clothed with his righteousness alone that faultless we can stand before the throne. So he didn't come for the righteous, he came for the unrighteous. And he targeted this truth to those who, who were good citizens, who were law-abiding people, who were regular in their church attendance, and who were generous in their contributions, and, and they were careful in their long prayers, and, and they made fastings often, and they wore the right kind of clothing with the right kind of spiritual implications to them, and yet they were as lost as anyone ever was lost in their lives. And so the message this Christmas season is very clear to us. There's a real celebration going on. And the, the rejoicing that resounds through these verses is absolutely phenomenal. And everyone is rejoicing. The shepherd is rejoicing and all of his friends and family is rejoicing. The woman who lost the coin and all of her neighbors and friends are rejoicing. And the father and the younger son and all the servants are rejoicing. The only one who's not happy, the only one who is alienated from the celebration is that one that is identified in the first few verses of this chapter who didn't realize why Jesus came. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. So we want to take a look at this this morning and the real purpose for the parable and, the, and the, the target of truth that we want to examine for a few moments. What they were muttering about, and the King James is uh, just a little bit 
uh, harder to understand, but reminds me of a story. Uh, the uh, second verse, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eateth with them. Little girl had been going to church without her mom. Her mom was sick, but when she would come home, her mom would always quiz her, What was the pastor's sermon about? And one particular day, returning home, she was very agitated, very excited, waiting for her mom to ask her the question, What did the pastor preach about today? And she said, Oh, mom, he preached about me today. And she said, He did? She said, Yes. He said that Jesus welcomes sinners and eateth with him. Her name was Edith. And so she said, he spoke to me today. Jesus welcomes sinners and Edith with them. So if Edith is here this morning, Jesus is speaking directly to you. And if not, we can insert our name in that passage today. He does welcome sinners and he eats with us. He welcomes us. Little boy was trying to quote some scriptures and he said Jesus came into the world to save cinders and there's a little bit of truth to that too if your life is all burned out Jesus came to save cinders today and he's able to restore and to bring new life new hope there's rejoicing going on and I, I believe that it's the Father's heartbeat. We get a real window into the Father's heart in this, in this text today. A real opening into examining the heart of God. The same Father that ran out of the house to throw his arms around that wayward son and that rebellious son and kissed him much and clothed him with his robe and put shoes on his feet and a ring on his finger. That same Father left the house to go outside to talk to that elder son. He did not uh, discriminate. He went out to entreat him to say, don't stand outside. There's a celebration going on. There's Christmas going on. We have an ox roast uh, happening inside. Just come in, pick a partner, fill a plate. There's a, there's a celebration going on. And I loved what we sang this morning. Uh, celebrate Jesus. I will celebrate. I will sing unto the Lord. I will sing to him a new song. We, we need to celebrate. This is a season for celebration. And everybody said, it is indeed a, 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 a time for us as believers to, to celebrate and to worship the Lord with, with our song. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with play. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. I looked around while you were singing that chorus. Can I get a witness? I watched you. I just kind of thought, this is my sermon. I want to see. Is there a party going on here? Is there, a, is there real celebration? Is there rejoicing? Or is it just, we know the chorus and we know the words. But this Christmas season, oh, hallelujah, the table spread. And the, the fatted calf has been slain and prepared. And there is, there is rejoicing today. There's a, a time of celebration. Why? We were lost, now we're found. We were dead, 
now we're alive. We were blind, now we see. And there's a song in our spirit, in our soul, there's rejoicing. I will rejoice, for he hath made me glad. Hallelujah. What a wonderful picture it is for us this morning. I want you to see the Trinity involved in this passage. I think that's what Jesus was really saying. God, in all of his fullness and all of his essence, is involved in reaching the lost. I see in this lost sheep parable, one who had a hundred sheep and one was lost. He didn't go after those who weren't lost, but he did go after the one that was lost until he found it. Until, he sought until he found that one that was lost. Brought it back. He rejoiced. He called his friends. They rejoiced. And he said, heaven in all of its fullness, heaven rejoices over one lamb that was brought back to the full. That picture's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And so in that first part of the parable, we see the picture of Jesus who came specifically to seek and save that which was lost. That's his role. That's his part. And so he was picturing his own ministry. And then he said the second part of the ministry of the Godhead is in the woman who lost her coin and she valued and treasured it and so she lit a candle and she began to search through the house. Now we know that the, the final part of the parable, the two sons, the son that went away, pictures the father. So who would that second parable or second part of the parable illustrate? Help me. Who's the other third person of the Trinity? The Holy Spirit. So if Jesus is the good shepherd and the Father is the one who is inside the house, then this second part of the parable pictures the Holy Spirit working through his church. We are the light of the world. And she lit a candle and searched through the house. And so the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Spirit of God, holding forth the word of truth, is to seek and to save that which is lost. And so the good shepherd seeks the sheep until he finds it, and there's great rejoicing. The church of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, is to illuminate the place and look for that lost coin until they find it. Then there's rejoicing in their own heart and among their friends. And the heavens above there resounds the celebration of, of finding that which was lost. Jesus is involved. The Spirit through His church. And that's what we ought to be all about this Christmas season. Oh God, make us the light of the world. Jesus said, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. But then when I'm gone, you are the light of the world. And when she lit that candle, it means that the light of the life of Jesus Christ shines forth through us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the lost are being found today through the church, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And we know that we can't save anybody, but the Spirit working through us can find those who are lost. Now, if we only had the last part of the parable then made it stand by itself, it would seem like the Father does nothing about the lost. 
He did not go after them. He stayed within the house. The son asked, according to Deuteronomy, I have a third of the wealth coming to me. I want it up front. I don't want to wait till you die. I want to use it now. The father gave him what he asked. It was rightfully his. It would be coming to him upon his death. But he received it early and wasted that wealth. Squandered it unwisely. Returned back and made the choice. You see, that's the part of the lost that is critical to us. It's not that the father doesn't care, but the father will not force us back home. The element of this part of the parable is that it, it illustrates the fact that we've got to choose to come back home. It only is valid when we exercise what the prodigal said, I will arise. I will return to my father's house. I will. That's, that's the part of the parable that, that you and I had to fill. Jesus came to do his part. The Holy Spirit is constantly working to do his part. And then the decision is left right up to you and to me. The Father is waiting for us, but he wants us to choose to come to him and make him our father and to be his child and his servant. It's not that the Father didn't care. The Father didn't go searching. The Father stayed right at home and waited for the Son to make a choice. I want you to know that's the way it is today. Jesus came to do his part. The Holy Spirit through the church is here today to do his part. The Father waits for us to make the choice. And if we will say, just like the prodigal, I will arise, I will return, I will go back to my Father's house, that's when you begin to rejoice. That's when your household begins to rejoice. That's when you enter in to the real celebration of the season. Otherwise, it's just a holiday. But oh, you've, you've done what that prodigal did. It's a celebration. Are you with me? Are you celebrating this morning Christmas personally? Do you have reason to rejoice this morning? You say, yes, Pastor, I was lost. But Jesus found me. The Spirit transformed me. I said, I will arise. I will go back to Father's house. I made the choice. And I want you to know the Father won't twist your arm. He won't force you to, to come and be his, his son and be his child. You've got to make the choice. Godhead has done as much as it can possibly. Jesus came to live here, die for us. The Spirit came following his ascension to empower the church to give the gospel, to light the world with the gospel. But you've got to make the choice. Father won't come and force you back home. But if you make the choice, he'll see you coming the minute you step out of your seat. He saw him afar off and he ran 
to him threw his arms around him. I want you to know something. The Father loves you this morning, even though you may be away from him. And he's waiting for you to make the choice. I will arise. I will return. And I will say, I, I've sinned against heaven and against you. <laughs> I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. For in Father's house there is bread enough and despair, but I perish with hunger. Oh, he got part of that rehearsed speech out. I have sinned against heaven and against you. And that's as much as the father would hear. He didn't want him back as a hired servant. He restored him back into full sonship. I want you to just compare for a moment or two this elder brother, the one to whom the whole parable is targeted, and, and the truth that, uh, that flows directly toward them as the Lord was speaking to them. The whole essence of the gospel has to do with entering in. And I gathered a few verses of scripture, and if you can just listen to them, let me read them to you, and they'll speak to your heart. Verse 28 said, the older brother became angry. We've been talking about anger. That's what, made, what drew me to this. And our own personal anger that can destroy the most valuable part of our lives, the spiritual part. It can be destructive. It can be damaging. We talked last Sunday morning about the anger of God and uh, what makes him upset. And uh, I want us just to, to kind of see that we can be angry with God. This elder son was angry mostly at the father because he extended grace to his brother. He was angry with the father. He would not go in because he was angry at the father. I want you to understand, it's very possible in uh, 1997 to be angry with the father because of what they perceive to have been some injustice from God. He took my husband. He took my wife. He took my child. Angry with God and will not enter in because they're angry with the Lord. That's the most destructive kind of angry that we have in some perceived injustice that God has done toward us. God is too loving to be unjust. He is too wise to make a mistake. And you need to understand that we only hurt ourselves when we are angry with the Father. It does a great damage to us because the essence of the gospel is that we would enter in the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out to plead with him. John 10, 9 says, I am the door by me. If any man will enter in, he will be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. Luke 13, 24, strive to enter in at the straight gate. Revelation 22:14 Blessed are they that do his commandments for they that they might have the right to enter in 
and enjoy the tree of life. Isaiah 26, 2, Open ye the gates, that the righteous nation that keepeth the truth may enter in. Psalm 104, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. Perhaps the most famous of all, John 3, 5, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter in. He became angry and would not enter in. That's the essence of the gospel. The Lord wants us to enter in. He wants us not to be in alienation of the celebration, but he wants us to enjoy the celebration. There's a party going on today. There's a, there's a fatted calf that has been killed and prepared. Grab a plate. Pick a partner. There's music. There's dancing. Did you read the text? There's, mu there's celebration. There's rejoicing that's taking place. But he would not enter in. Became angry. I want you to listen to his words for a moment and contrast them with the statement that the younger brother was going to say as he pled his cause to the father. He said, these many years I have slaved for thee. Now he had cast himself in the role not of a son but as a slave. I'm no longer worthy to be called one of your sons, but make me like one of your servants. His relationship to the Father had been one of servitude, of, of slaving. These years I have slaved for you. I was interested to see what that word meant, so I, I did a little word search on that particular statement and then compared it to the rest of the text. And in Luke 22, 1522, but the father said to one of his servants, same word, these many years I have been your servant. Something wrong with that, isn't it? He should have been relating to the father as one of his what? One of his sons. But he said, these many years I have slaved for you. Thinking that something of the relationship rested upon his performance. Oh, I'm not, a, I'm not my, my mother or my father's son because of anything I've done. I'm their son because I've been born into that family. When are we going to understand, people? You're not, you're not going to have your name written in the book of life because of the things you've done for the church or done for, for religion or done for God. You can't, no matter how many years you serve him, be saved by your service. You're only going to be saved when you become a son of the living God. You can't win being a servant. These years I have slaved for you. Oh, there's something wrong with that. The other boy understood it. He said, I, you know, I know I've done some things that I've been rebellious and I don't deserve anything. Oh, let me tell you, that's where all of us are. It's we're saved by what? Saved by grace through faith. And 
that not of yourself, it's a gift from God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so when we begin to think that we can slave our way uh, to, to being God's children, we'll never make it that way. These many years I slaved for you. Oh, God help us. Our relationship with God is not performance-based. It's miraculous. It's miraculous. It's because he extends grace and he giveth more grace. Hallelujah. Blown it bad? Oh, yeah. Don't deserve a thing from him today. But all you have to do is say, I will arise, I will return, and I will say, most important two words in that text is, I will, I will, I will. Because you're saved when you choose. Jesus came to provide it. The Holy Spirit came to proclaim it. It's up to you to possess it.